The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, March the 24th, and we are rolling right along in the 2021 NFL offseason on this episode. Free agent bargains with Jared Dubin in the feed, the free agency roundup, and winners and losers with the Super Friends. And coming up tomorrow, Jonathan Jones. We'll talk about the latest happenings around the NFL, and we'll have a mailbag on Friday. If you have a question for this mailbag or potentially a future mailbag, go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we will answer any and all questions you have about the offseason teams, players, signings, um, nonsensical, you know, would you rather fight t- 100 giraffes or 10 I don't know, rhinos or whatever? What do you, people leave these weird questions? Anyway, uh, it's mad out there. It's also mad in the sports world right now with the NCAA tournament in full swing. You're a diehard sports fan, which means you want to stay in the know with all sports. And that's where CBS Sports HQ is your streaming answer. Just think about what's on tap this week alone. MLB spring training, the NBA trade deadline, please. Sweet top shot Jesus, send Aaron Gordon to the Celtics or Lakers. UFC 260, NFL free agency fallout and draft coverage, golf picks, the men's national team. We could go on and on, but you get it. Sports never sleeps, and neither does CBS Sports HQ. It's available on your computer, your phone, via the CBS Sports app, and your connected TV. I leave it on all day, and if you live and breathe sports, I tell you to do the same as well. A guy who's a big sports fan, big NBA junkie. Joining us now to talk about NFL free agency bargains, Jared Dubin. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Um, I think it's going to be a little difficult for the Lakers to get Aaron Gordon. You might have something with the Celtics. Oh, well, that's fine. Celtics is fine. I, I, I haven't. Debo is is silent right now, but he, I know that he's also crossing his fingers and praying for Aaron Gordon to the Celtics too, because some of us invested poorly at. Top of the market on Aaron Gordon, and uh, and and we need we need to get some of the value back, just claw some of it back. Uh, but yeah, what are you gonna do? Um, so before we get to your free agent bargains, and people can go to cbssports.com, ten bargain NFL free agent editions is on the site right now. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, two uh, recent signings that went down over the past, uh, I guess, t- twenty four hours or so, maybe. One Tuesday night, Adoree Jackson signed by the Giants. Or excuse me, one on Monday night, Adoree Jackson signed by the Giants. Three years, $39 million. My goodness, dudes. I was uh I wasn't taken aback that they signed him. I think the Giants see this as a as a window to win now, but three years, $39 million is is quite the price tag for Adoree Jackson. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a good player. Yeah. Um, I think when he's on the field, he's probably worth like a $13 million a year over three years contract. It's just that, you know, the Titans literally just cut him because they don't know if his knee's going to be able to hold up and they didn't want to pay whatever it was like 10 million for him for this season with the the knee problems hanging over them. So, I mean, look, if, if he's healthy and they have, you know, a Dory Jackson and James Bradbury 
on the outside. They probably got, you know, the best one-two corner combination, certainly in their division, and one of the better in the NFC, if not the league. So hmm. if he's healthy, it's great. But, you know, it's, it's just a big question. I don't know how confident you can be given that he's got like a, a knee issue. We don't even really know what it is. It was like a mysterious knee injury for most of last season, came back and played, I think, like the last few games. But the Titans obviously weren't confident enough that he was going to stay healthy to pay him less money than the Giants are paying him. So, you know, I don't really know what the, what to think about that one. Do you think that – so I don't want to – I I like what the Giants have done this offseason. Um, yeah, naturally signing my my good friend Mike Lennon. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I love Kenny Galladay. I really like Adore Jackson. I think they probably overpaid for those guys, but I, I, I also think that they're doing exactly what I expected them to do, which is to aggressively try and prop up the base that they had already created. Even if it's not, you know, even if what we saw in 2020 was maybe a little overblown, you know, result of a bad division. I mean, there is an opportunity there in this division with, yeah, the Cowboys are I mean, Dak's back. That's huge. Oh, we didn't get to talk to you about Dak, but um, you know, like where where do you see that? Where do the Giants with their signing slide into this division? And do you think that Dave Gettleman is so to me? What he's doing is he's trying to he's basically pressing and doubling down on what he has already established, hoping that if they win nine plus games and get into the playoffs that he will extend the, the the livelihood of his tenure as GM. But and this happens all the time in the league. It's just dumb. You know, he's trying to extend his time there. And as a result, he's setting the giants up for problems down the, like further down, down the line because he's going all in on this year. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with that largely. Like, in, in one sense, doubling down on like Dave Gettleman, doubling down on Dave Gettleman makes sense because you have to put your quarterback in the best possible position to succeed. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful in the NFL. So going out and getting the guy who was thought to be the best receiver on the market, even if you, you might think that maybe you think he's really a number two receiver, ideally, maybe you think that he's not worth eighteen and a half million dollars a year, one of like the six highest paid receivers in the league. But if that's the best guy available and you want to put Daniel Jones in the best possible position to succeed and that's what you have to do to get him, then I understand the impulse to do that. You know, granted, they're sitting at, I think, pick number 11 in the draft. So maybe they could, could have wound up with someone like Jalen Waddle or somebody else in the draft. And you say, you know, maybe he could produce what Galladay produces for less money. But you don't know that. Like you're paying for the certainty, I think, more than anything. We've seen rookie receivers be good the last few years, but before that, it wasn't necessarily the case. Um, and, and even last year, you saw some of the rookie receivers not be that good. Like Henry Ruggs didn't do all that much for for the Raiders. You know, there were other guys obviously that were better. So, you know, I, I think it makes sense with Galladay. It doesn't make as much sense to me with Leonard Williams, but he also sort of boxed himself into a corner yeah. with that one by trading for him and then franchising him and then franchising him again. Like to me, ideally, he's like a four-three defensive tackle. And unless you're Aaron Donald, I'm not paying you like twenty million dollars a year or DeForest Buckner. Like he's just not as good as those guys. If you move him to the edge, I don't think he's quite as effective. But he also needs to be there probably to justify that contract. But then I think you look like. Defense year to year is not as consistent as offense generally, and the strength of their team last year was the defense. So, you know, if they're trying to double down on it, like 
okay, bringing back Williams makes sense. You got to keep what made you good, and that was the defensive front. But that's where make, adding Jackson makes sense too, I think, because you got to keep adding. You can't just bring back the same defense and be like, we're going to be just as good. So I think there are things that on the surface make sense if you want to double down. The question is whether they should be doubling down on Daniel Jones and a defense that was not good the year before and came in and played sort of way above expectations last year. Yeah. So how do you see them slotting out in the NFC East? I mean, if you were, cause I, you know, Wilson, you know, I think, I think you can make the case that the giants could win the NFC East. Like that wouldn't be that crazy. Um, the Cowboys have no defense and you know, Washington, all the hype is around Ryan Fitzpatrick and which, you know, when you say it out loud sort of makes you pause about that hype. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's much easier to fix a defense in one year than it is to fix an offense. I think, um, so I, I would think there's, it's pretty clear to me that the Cowboys have the best offense sure. in the division. So they're probably the safest bet just because, and I think, you know, before last year, Dak had never missed a game in his career. I think like dating back to like high school, he'd never yeah. missed a game. So you wouldn't expect necessarily that all of a sudden he's going to be injury prone. Um, granted, you wouldn't have expected that coming into last year either. And he got hurt in the fifth game of the season. So you know, but look, the the giant, the, both the Giants and the football team have quarterbacks that have shown a high ceiling on occasion, but have also shown very, very low floors, and specifically have shown that they will turn the ball over a lot. Mm. And if you're building your team around defense, which both Washington and the Giants are, I think having a quarterback who turns the ball over and flips the field sort of negates the strength of your team in a lot of ways. Granted, they could go on streaks where they don't turn it over, and Fitzpatrick especially has shown the ability to do that. I don't really think Daniel Jones has so far, but you know, with with, with turnover-prone quarterbacks, it's difficult to build your team around defense. Just look what happened when the, the Bucks went from a quarterback who turned the ball over every six plays to a quarterback who never turns the ball over. Yeah, 7-9, 7 7-9. really good, yeah. like, became one of the best in the league. That's a good point. Um, I th- I saw this. I don't remember who said it, so I'm I'm sort of going to hijack it because I really like it. But I again, I don't know. I don't know who to cite. The way that the Giants are doing this sort of feels like if Daniel Jones can make a Josh Allen leap or a you know a poor like not quite that much, but just you know that sort of step forward in your career in the third year, then they can be Bills ish in the sense that they can make a playoff run. And if he's not, and it's more like Mitch Trubisky then they could be bears-ish and that's where you really get in trouble. So I think, and those are two very different ends of the spectrum. Maybe it's something in between and the giants are eight and eight and fighting for a playoff spot late, but it does feel like the, this, it, it, it sort of feels like Jerry Reese, honestly, when he spent all the money in free agency and they went to the playoffs, um, you know, and then ultimately everything collapsed because this is just not how you build a team. Uh, yeah, well, that also, that showed you the way you could build a defense in one year. You know, they just splashed the pot sure. for like four guys in free agency. You know, I think uh, one difference with the Bills is just the Bills basically had guys who were like 20% better surrounding Josh Allen. Like, yes, Stephon Diggs better than Kenny Galladay, John Brown probably better than Darius Slayton, Cole Beasley better than you know, just as good, if not better than Sterling Shepard. The offensive line was a little bit better in Buffalo. Yeah. Like, the, uh, the offensive coordinator is like 100% better in Buffalo. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit different, but I, I see the comparison just because people have said Daniel Jones, like he has the athleticism, he has the arm, he's got to put it together. I think there were more signs of high end capability from Allen. Yeah, I agree um, with that, but he just wasn't accurate at all. 
I mean, Daniel Jones has led the league in fumbles back-to-back years. His first yeah. two years in the league. That's a problem. You can't can't do that. You can't lead the league in fumbles in your third year or else it's, it's over. Uh, Kevin King, very popular man in Green Bay, and he's coming back on a one-year $6 million deal. Uh, as we last saw King, he was getting absolutely blistered by Tom Brady in the Bucs uh, in the, I guess it was not the NFC Championship. Was it the NFC Championship game? It was? How did I forget this already? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, because they went to back to back. Um, so yeah, bad, bad, uh, bad outing for him in that in that matchup, and probably took most of the heat for that. But one year, six million dollar deal is not a disaster in in my in my opinion for a guy who has had some decent moments, but is vilified for a horrible uh, final game of the season. Yeah, look, he's a starter quality cornerback who had the worst game of his career at the worst possible time. And I think, you know, a one year, $6 million deal. First of all, that's like mid-level starter money, but it's also not a big commitment. So it's a situation where, you know, you can draft a corner pretty early and say like, this is going to be the guy that we, you know, replace Kevin King with in the future, but we don't have to worry about sliding in a rookie as a starting cornerback in his first season. So I think it makes sense. It might make some Packers fans angry just because the last memory of him was him just getting absolutely roasted all day in the, in the conference title game, but he's been a pretty good player throughout his career for the most part. And I don't think that that game is representative of what we've seen from him for the most part. All right. So uh, a, a reasonable deal there in your opinion and the pack, like, you know, Packers just can't not, I mean, you gotta have player. You gotta have some guys on the back end to play for you. Yeah. You know, uh, all right, let's talk about your bargain-free agents. Maybe Kevin King would even apply at $6 million on a single-year deal, but I, I don't know. I think he would. He'd be close, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get to the offense first. Your number one bargain, I believe these are ranked in order, and I would agree with this. Will Fuller to the Dolphins on a deal that's you know, less than $10 million, a single-year deal for a guy who has to prove that he can stay healthy when he's not on the peds. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're in order. I didn't order them in in uh, in the post, so maybe somebody ordered them, and I can just say sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's I think it's like nine point six million, and it can go up to like fourteen million with incentives. If I'm looking at it correctly, um, he's just a good player, you know. Like you look at the Dolphins last year, one thing that was very obvious was they just didn't have enough receiving talent around Tua to make him successful. You know, Fitzpatrick took a bit more chances and that helped them just raise the ceiling of the offense. I think if you're going to have a quarterback like Tua, who's very risk averse, you got to have guys that can make plays independent of being schemed into them. And now with Devontae Parker on one side, Will Fuller on the other side, you put like Lynn Bowden and Preston Williams in the slot, Mike Gesicki can sort of flex all over the formation. Like you're starting to get a much more respectable skill position core. And with a one-year deal, you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't remove the possibility that they could still take like, you know, Jamar Chase or whoever at number three and, um, and really put two in position to succeed. So, you know, I, I, and, and I think also you look at Deshaun Watson throughout his career, much better when Will Fuller was on the field, whether across from DeAndre Hopkins or across from Brandon Cooks and whoever the hell else they had this year. Um, I, I think that having that guy that takes the top off the defense is, is really important and helps even independent of their own production. Yeah, and I, I think, too, the thing about putting two in the right spot is really important. You know, the Dolphins are going to 
you know, they have the number third overall pick and they're presumably not going to draft a quarterback. That's at least the indications they put out there. It, it, it would be weird to draft to a fifth overall and then come back and draft a quarterback third overall, but it would tell us a lot about how they feel about Tua. It wouldn't be unprecedented. You know, we've seen the, the Cardinals do it with Josh Rosen uh, and, and then with, with Kyler Murray, and that ended up being the correct decision. It does seem like they're probably going to get a, more help for Tua and say, all right, is this the guy? You know, let, let I mean, and, and maybe it's a case where 2021 is a make or break year for Tua. That feels, that almost feels a little extreme, but you know, if he, if he's not good and they, you know, they improve the offensive line, they get him a bunch of weapons and the defense is good. And two is the, and two is the thing dragging them down. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be an issue for them next off season. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like their, their defense is ready to win now. And again, you know, defense isn't, necessarily is consistent year to year it doesn't stay as good for as long as a good offense so their window with this defense is probably these next two three years maybe so putting two in the best possible position to succeed right now makes a lot of sense and then you can sort of recycle on the defensive side of the ball you know depending on how well it works but you know they tried to upgrade the offensive line obviously um it's isaiah wilson um that didn't really work out too well mm. But I would imagine they didn't cost anything. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine they'll try to get another tackle early in the draft. Like they did some like very billsy stuff along the offensive line last season where they drafted three guys, I think. They signed a couple guys, like, and, and it was just sort of throwing resources at the offensive line to see what works. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them do it again this year and say, can we hit on two or three guys and sort of solidify the rest of the offensive line? You mentioned the Bills. They have another one of your favorite signings in Jacob Hollister. Yeah, I mean, he's just a pretty athletic tight end who, when he got opportunities for the Seahawks over these last couple of years, did pretty well with them, just didn't get a ton of them. And granted, I don't think he's going to get that many opportunities with the Bills either, both because they have Dawson Knox there already and because they run a lot of four wide sets with no tight end on the field. But, you know, now they have basically two of the same guy in, in Knox and Hollister. They're both enormous, like 6'5", 250, and they're both athletes. And when they want to go into, like, their big formations down on the line of scrimmage, now you could have two of those guys running around and making plays over the top. They were already, you know, a good red zone team. Um, and I think it's just going to make them a little bit better in that area. And, you know, losing John Brown, I think, hurts them, but they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, too. Like, it's a team that knows what it needs to be successful in all areas of the field. You know, they have their slot guy in Cole Beasley. They have their sort of technician guys in, in, um, sorry, in, in Diggs and Sanders. They have a deep threat in Gabe Davis. Now they have two big bodied tight ends in Knox and Hollister. So I just think it makes a lot of sense for the type of things that they want to do offensively. Yeah. It gives them some, you know, formation versatility too, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to, let's say you've got a lead and they had lots of these, you know, you can maybe go into, uh, you know, more of a 12 personnel, let Diggs work on the outside and you can do that in the red zone too. And let's not forget Jacob Hollister. I don't know if you remember this 32 catches, 515 yards and seven touchdowns for the 2016 Wyoming Cowboys quarterbacked by Josh Allen. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah. Played with him at, uh, at Wyoming. So that's a, you know, okay. that's a, that's a sensible signing then. And yeah. and like Knox is th- Dawson Knox. I feel like Hollister. I mean, certainly he's not, you know, uh, 
it's not Tony Gonzalez or, you know, anything like that, you know, but he's, he, he's a little more able, capable in the middle of the field, I guess, than Dawson Knox. Knox feels like just a pure red zone guy. Well, Knox is like a, an athlete. He's like a catch and run type. At, you think, at um, whereas maybe Hollister can get a little bit more downfield. I mean, the, he just wasn't asked to do a lot in Seattle because, you know, at first they had, who was it a couple of years ago? Will Disley. Well, they had and, Jimmy Graham and then they had, Greg Olson and all along they had Will Disley and Luke um, Luke Wilson Luke Wilson yeah so they were always like churning through three or four okay tight ends yeah. it's not like a game breaker signing but they got him at like one year for like two million or something like that and that's just like it's the sign of a team that knows exactly what it's doing I think yes I I think I think the Bills overall plan over the last three or four years, basically oh, yeah. since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean got there has been, is an absolute blueprint for how to run and build a franchise up from, you know, really, I mean, they, you know, they, they won nine games, I guess, with Doug Marone, but missed the playoffs, but uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good roster and they signed a bunch of blue collar dudes and then built everything around and dropped Josh Allen in and yeah, they completely out. rebuilt the offense from Josh Allen's first season to now there's one guy left. Yeah is Deion Dawkins. Everybody else is new. Like yep. when you realize you don't have the kind of talent to make your young quarterback successful, you got to aggressively move to get that talent. It's, it's the opposite of what the jets have done yes. with Sam Darnold. Pretty much. Uh, the Tennessee Titans lost Johnu Smith and Corey Davis this off season. They're going to be a little hurt for talent. They got AJ Brown and Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. It's still a good offense, but they needed to get some more in there. And they did that by bringing in Josh Riddles late of the Rams. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's a scheme fit. You know, the, the Titans run sort of that Shanahan McVay LaFleur style offense. That's been there since, you know, Matt LaFleur was their offensive coordinator. Um, and then Arthur Smith. And now they've got, I can't remember who the new offensive coordinator is now for some reason, but you know, it's, it's the same style of offense that Reynolds ran with the Rams. So he's obviously very familiar with what they want to do. He's big. He can block, he can run those play action routes and go over the middle or stretch the field up the sideline. He's been pretty good when, you know, these last, the not last year, but the, the two or three years before that, when he had to like step in for, for Cooper cup or Brandon cooks or whoever was injured, he did pretty good. And then last year he got a little bit more of an expanded role got like 90 targets or something like that and got into the fifties and catches and five, 600 yards, a few touchdowns. Like he's just a solid player. Like he's not going to, you know, light the world on fire. He's not going to be as good as Corey Davis was last year, but you know, he's a good fill in for, you know, presumably for this one year while they try to find sort of a longer term answer uh, across from AJ Brown. And they did it at, I believe a pretty low cost. The number hasn't even been reported, which leads you to believe the agent doesn't necessarily think it's that good of a deal, which makes <laughs> me believe it's a very good bargain for, for the offense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like that signing just as a sort of plug and play piece across from AJ Brown that, that knows what they're doing and can work in their offense pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with that. And I think, man, you know, got to ask some questions about, you know, we're talking about Dory Jackson leaving, it's fair to ask why John Robinson is petrified to pick up a fifth year option. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, Corey Davis, Jack Conklin, Dory Jackson, right. Three consecutive. I think not, I'm not saying that 
um, you know, all those guys deserve whatever the amount was going to be because Corey Davis is going to be expensive. But now you're banking on Josh Reynolds to basically replace Corey Davis's production from last year. And Davis was at least good last season, not worthy of maybe a, a monster contract, but he was, you know, it was a very nice compliment to, to AJ Brown. Yeah. I mean, look, he didn't even get that much of a monster contract. He got like 13 million a yeah. year, 13 and a half million a year. Like that's, that's not that big of a deal for a receiver. Like he got, five million a year less than kenny galladay like galladay is a better player but you know if davis does what he did last year he's going to more than justify that contract he got from the jets but you know i think you could sort of justify the the not picking up fifth year options in each individual case like Corey davis wasn't good in his first three years sure. made sense to not pick up the fifth year. and he was uh top five overall so yeah, you're talking like a 15 15- overall pick yeah you know um jack conklin <laughs> was hurt and had a bad season the year before yeah. they decided not to pick up his option. And then he had his best season in year four, you know, I'm just saying, I, but I was, I'm saying the trickle down effect of the Conklin thing was that they, they ended up having to draft Isaiah Wilson. And we talked about that a little bit oh, yesterday, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's just taken, it's taken its toll on the, the Titans. You know, there's three first round picks that you drafted in who you thought were going to be core players to your team that are no longer on your team. And that's, yep. you know, that's a concern. Uh, one guy who is coming home so to speak uh i consider alex max alex max home to be kyle shanahan's offense yes and he's joining him in san francisco the last two times he played for him it was in uh atlanta when the falcons went to the super bowl and in cleveland in 2014 when the browns were actually leading the afc north until alex mack broke his leg in the middle of the season and the rushing game fell apart so hard not to love this even at the age of 36 Oh, yeah. I mean, he's still one of the better centers in the league. He's the basically the perfect Kyle Shanahan center, and everybody knows how important the center is in that scheme just based on the amount of responsibility they have in the run game. Um, yeah, I mean, it. it's a, it's a perfect signing for them. They got him at three years, 14.85 million. Like, that's a steal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I think – I, I love what the Niners have done. You bring back Trent Williams, you get Alex Mack. Just, you know, sort of, I mean, you put Kyle Shanahan guys on Kyle Shanahan's offense and the offensive line, it's it's probably going to work out. All right, when we come back, defensive value players in free agency. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. First one on the list. It's hard not to like it. Temple Temple. Matt Rule joining up with Hassan Reddick, who comes to the Panthers on, uh, I believe, a one-year deal worth $8 million. Pretty clear that Reddick, based on his production in Arizona, where he, he – this one stings for the Cardinals because he he was basically the consolation prize for Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Whoops. Um, they got you know they got Kyler Murray eventually anyway, so it's okay. But, I mean, it, you know. It got dicey when you when you miss on uh you don't trade up for Mahomes or Watson and you end up uh, settling for Reddick and Reddick had a, a great year in 2020 but really unproductive and disappointing prior to that and his run with the Cardinals and I would guess Tubes that that's probably why he ends up you know being a bargain or being willing to take less money to knowing that Matt Rule um, and Phil Snow will be able to utilize him. Yeah, I mean. You know, you look at the way the Cardinals used him for the first few years of his career. It was sort of as like that that hybrid linebacker, move him all over the place. And it was like, you know, the ideal thing would be like he's like Isaiah Simmons, who they drafted last year, but it didn't really work out that way for them. Last year was the first time he played as like a pure edge rush guy, and he comes in, he has 12 and a half sacks. And granted, that was the first year that he played as an edge and the first year that he really had any sort of production. And I think that's why he only got a one-year deal for 8 million. But if you get that guy for one year and 8 million and you stick him across from Brian Burns and next to Derek Brown, like that's pretty good, you know, and with the pre-existing relationships they have there between him and, and rule and snow, you would think that if he plays well, they'll be able to bring him back on a longer term deal, make him sort of the, you know, a core piece of that defense. He's still young. I think he's like 25, you know, so I, I like that sounding a lot. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's one of those where, given the connection there, and we saw this with Rob. Yeah, I was a little skeptical. You can be skeptical of, of teams who bring in players from, you know, like Urban Meyer signs Carlos Hyde. I, I'm going to be skeptical of it. You know, I mean, and that's a little different because it's a running back, but I, at least a little skeptical about the Panthers bringing in Robbie Anderson. You know, even though you, you know him and that's great, but it's like just because you coached him in college doesn't mean you necessarily have to bring him in. But I think this sort of, you know, that Robbie Anderson thing helps you to trust this move a little bit more, particularly with the type of player Reddick is. Yeah. Robbie Anderson was on my big bargains list last year. So <laughs> yeah, that worked out well. There you go. Uh, next up Keanu Neal. Oh, a little Homer pick here. Keanu Neal with the Cowboys. I, I actually see both of the Cowboys picks at once. Oh, you're right. Good call. Brent Urban and Keanu Neal, two value picks for the Cowboys. We sort of knew the Cowboys would be bargain shoppers, even after they got Dak to lower his uh, his, his cap hit. And I, I said I the reason I really like the Neal deal, and I think I said this yesterday maybe, is that if you look at the rest of the division, we should expect all three of the other teams because of Jalen Hurts, because of Ron Rivera, and because of uh, uh, Jason Garrett to run the ball a ton. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Cowboys have been for a while now bargain shoppers in free agency, and for the most part, they're just signing guys that are like nondescript veterans to one-year deals to sort of fill a hole so they can go into the draft and say, we're going to pick the best player available, and they don't have to take a player at a certain position. And for the most part, those deals don't really work out all that well. Like last year they came into the offseason and to fix their run defense, they signed the two defensive tackles from the worst run defense in the league the year before. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't work. 
you know, but I, I think in particular, Urban and Neil just make a ton of sense. Like Brent Urban is a guy who has been on something like six or seven teams, I think, or something like that. And he just, everywhere he goes, he plays the run really well for a year or two and then goes to the next team and does the same. He's just a solid veteran who plays 30, 40% of snaps, plays really well and moves on. Like, I think that's exactly the kind of guy they needed up the middle to go with like Tristan Hill and Neville, Neville Gallimore. And it can free them up to, to not necessarily have to take an interior defensive lineman in the first round or the second round or something like that. And they can find someone and sort of develop him. And then Neil, just they haven't invested significant resources in the safety position since Roy Williams. And granted, it's only a, a one-year deal for $5 million. But, I mean, that's legitimately not, – not quite, not quite the same price as Roy Williams. <laughs> no, but that's, like, that's <laughs> legit more than they've invested in years at the position and he's got the flexibility to be like your strong safety and base defense and your, you know, nickel linebacker and take Jalen Smith off the field on, on pass down. So he's not taken advantage of in coverage because he can't change directions multiple times. So, you know, I just, I just think it makes a lot of sense. He knows Dan Quinn's defense, which, you know, the merits of Dan Quinn's defense aside, it's good to have somebody who knows exactly what he's doing and could be sort of that captain of the defense type, especially because their linebackers are hurt all the time. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I just think those guys make a lot of sense. Neither of them cost very much. And they're they're higher ceiling players than they typically sign with those, you know, one-year deals that they're just meant to fill a hole, uh, usually on defense, that don't work out. Yeah, and you know what? I egg on my face. I didn't even re- somehow whiffed on the Dan Quinn-Keanu Neal connection when I was talking about it yesterday. That That's pretty obvious there. Um, Sheldon Rankins. Man. I loved him coming out of Louisville. Obviously, he, you know, I believe he broke his leg in 2016, right shortly after being drafted. Was very good in 2017 and 2018, and just, you know, wasn't starting for them in, in the Saints in 2019 and 2020, and now became a free agent. I really like this pickup for the Jets based on like Sheldon Rankins and Quentin Williams and Carl Lawson. I mean, this defense just has, you know, you have Marcus May too. This defense just has way more teeth, it feels like than it did at any point last year. Yeah, and look, I think Rankins is not the kind of player that you can usually get on this like two-year, $17 million deal. Like, he's shown a much higher ceiling yeah. than being that type of player. He's just been hurt over the past couple of years and then obviously didn't just didn't play very well, I don't think, in 2020. But, you know, he's, he's shown the potential to be a really, really high-level player and i mean i think you really need that kind of player in robert sala's defense too you know you look at san francisco they were at their best when they had right next to each other on the interior of the defensive line you know buckner. DeForest buckner arik armstead and you know they they have those guys now in in rankins and williams and they got carl lawson who can be sort of their not necessarily nick bosa type or d ford type right. but he he's a very I guess he's like their Armstead type, basically, if not necessarily as big, but he's solid against both the run and the pass, can get after the quarterback and be flexible for them on the edge. You know, they, they're getting the types of pieces they need to make that defense work. And, you know, they, they paid up for Lawson, not that much, just because the edge rusher market was sort of depressed this year. But, you know, I, I really like Rankins on the interior of that defense if he can sort of tap into what made him good a couple of years ago in New Orleans. Yeah, and I also should mention, too, like I like Ashton Davis still a lot, you know, a third-round pick last year. uh, Too early to judge whether or not it was a good pick. And then they signed Gerard Davis. I forgot about that at inside linebacker. That's a – that's – this defense, I don't don't think it's going to be great. I don't think it's going to be some elite defense, but I think if Robert Robert Sala 
you know, they're sort of building, like you say, they're building it in his vision the way that they did in San Francisco. They need to find, you know, maybe one more real pass three rusher. More corners. Three more corners, yeah, and some pass rushers. I mean, look, this 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 was one of the worst rosters in football, you know, if not last year, then two years ago. And I think they've done an okay job. Like, I, I thought Corey Davis and Carl Lawson, they're not going to land on this value signing, this bargain signing for you. But I thought, that, like you point out, 13-5 for Corey Davis, not insane. And then Carl, Carl Lawson, they didn't pay up for it. They've, you know, it's the opposite of, you go and get a, a wide receiver who's, you know, 25 years old, I think, or 26 years old. Carl Lawson's 25, will turn 26 soon. So you're getting them, you know, early on in their careers. And or early before their primes, it's the polar opposite of what Mike McCagnan did going to get Le'Veon Bell and CJ Mosley, you know, the two, the least important positions in football and you're overpaying for them. And so, yep. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, go get, go get value positions. And they just had to get some wide receiver help. I'm, I'm fascinated by what they're going to do in the draft with that second overall pick. Yeah. I mean, they, they got to take a quarterback. Like they gave up all that, all those assets because they thought that Sam Darnold was going to be the kind of quarterback who could sort of transcend his circumstances. And <sighs> they put him in position to fail over these three years that he's been there. And he failed. Um, that's <laughs> not his fault as much as it is their fault, but he did fail. And I think that if you're this high in the draft again, you can't pass up the chance to get your guy at that spot, especially when you have no connection to the previous guy, you know, Joe Douglas didn't draft him. Robert Sala wasn't there to draft him. Like, get your guy that you know is going to be what you want, especially I think in this draft where there's guys that can can really run uh, Mike LaFleur's offense really well, uh, you know, like guys that can move with Sam Darnold really can't. Um, yeah, but, uh, I think I, I think I, I like I said, I'm fascinated. I think you can go either way. I'm I'm not totally out on Sam Darnold, but um, I agree with you in this draft with the second overall pick. That's why it's like, why couldn't you just lose one more game and you'd get Trevor Lawrence? I mean, what what are you doing winning that game? Uh, what are you doing not subscribing to our podcast, our YouTube podcast feed? Check out YouTube.com slash pick six for the video version of every single podcast. You can see Dubin sign Michael Jordan uh, jersey in the background there. You can see my Phil Mickelson signed flag and, and all the crap I have behind me. And me wearing various rope hats until I finally get a haircut. Um, my wife is very mad at me for not getting a haircut. But what are I you going to do? My beard. It looks good. Yeah, I trimmed mine too. I was. It finally got a got a little to be a little too much. Quintessential Patriots deal, Dubin. Cal Van Noy, he's back. So they is is it Van Noy where they? Who? No, no, no it's Trent Williams where they. Tri, it, it's like no, they did it with Jamie Collins. And but the and and uh and Trip Brown, not Trip Williams, Trent Brown, yeah. It's like they let a guy walk or trade a guy, let a guy walk for a comp pick and then give up a lesser pick to get the guy back after the other team can't get the most out of them. Just quintessential Patriots. Yeah. I mean, they trade for Kyle Van Noy at essentially the nadir of his value, turn him into a really useful player, see him walk for an enormous contract with the Dolphins get, I believe a third round compensatory pick this year and bring him back on a deal. That's like a third of the cost of the one that he signed last year. I mean, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. The Patriots and the Ravens do this all the time. Like the, the, the Ravens did it with Pernell McPhee when he left to go to, uh, I think it was Chicago and just wasn't very effective there. And then comes back and is good again in Baltimore. Hi Bodie. You want to come up? Oh yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Chicago. That's right, Chicago. And then he actually went stop uh, had a stop in Washington as well. I mean, okay. yeah, they're just guys who are going to be better in. And it, it is it, it was bizarre though that the Dolphins gave up that much money and then got rid of Van Noy, high character guy. I think there was some belief in in Miami and around the league that maybe the Dolphins were doing that as a way to free up salary cap space to chase Sean Watson, which you know, doesn't appear to be happening now. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that there's a lot of teams with a lot of pause about Deshaun Watson right now for good reason. Indeed. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, UNC Charlotte's own Big L, or Big O, I guess they call him, uh, with the Bengals on a one-year deal. Breach actually mentioned this the other day. It's a good signing. They need, they, they got to get, that defense has to, like they lose Carl Lawson, and I get you get Trey Hendrickson, but they need someone slowing down the run in the middle there, and then and Larry Ogunjobi should help do it, especially with the loss of Geno Atkins. Yeah, I mean, look, the the defensive back signings that they've made the past few years, I think, have gotten the most attention. They brought in Trey Waynes last year, Jadobia Wuzie and Mike Hilton this year. But, I mean, Ogunjobi on a one-year, I think it's like two and a half, three million dollar $3 million deal. They, they paid nothing to get him. He's been sort of overshadowed by Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and everybody else that's been on that Browns defense these past few years. He's just a good player, man. Like, that's it. He's a, he's a good player, and they got him for basically nothing. And he's not going to be Geno Atkins, but he's going to be a good player for them up the middle. And it sort of, you know, it doesn't totally alleviate the loss of a guy who's been one of the best defensive tackles in the league for years. But they didn't replace him with nothing. You know, they replaced him with a good player. And, and Geno, I mean, like, Geno Atkins, elite level player for a long time, but a different player too because he's more undersized than than Larry than Ogunjobi, and so. You know, with Atkins, you kind of have to have a defense that's predicated on his skill set, right? Like you need a lot of, you know, you need somebody else there who can help stop, slow down the run. You need to run and chase linebackers. And, um, you know, Ogunjobi actually has, you know, he had a, you know, 14 and a half sacks in his four, first four years with the Browns, which is not that terrible. I I, I, I love the signing at that price and, and, a, and, a, and a very big need for Cincinnati based on where they're at. Samson Ebukam. Really trying to test the uh, the old pronunciation skills of the podcasters here. I like Samson Ebukam. He signs with the 49ers, two-year deal worth $12 million. That can be up, uh, up to $13.5 million with incentives. That's sort of San Francisco, which, you know, picking off a player that the Rams just couldn't really afford to keep. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, he was a good player. Granted, he played next to Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers and, and Dama Kung Su at one time and Morgan Fox and, like, They've had good players there that he's been playing next to, but he's a good player too. And it's not like he's got a shortage of good players that he's going to be playing with on the San Francisco defensive front, you know? So I think that they're going to put him in position to succeed. He's a versatile, flexible player. He could be like an edge guy. He could be, you know, a four, three outside linebacker. He's, he's good, man. Like he got faked out of his shoes by Josh Allen at one point last year. And it was pretty embarrassing, <laughs> but he's a good player. He comes off the edge, play the pass, play the run. He's he's solid. Like two years, twelve million. Like they didn't pay a lot for him. They didn't have a ton of salary cap space, especially after signing Trent Williams. And um, you know they brought in a, th- a piece that th- that I think they needed on their defense. And what I'm I'm ninety percent confident of this. I believe because he he's from Nigeria. I'm pretty sure he didn't play high uh, football until high school oh. when he when he got to America. And he's still only twenty five, and uh, will turn twenty six this offseason in May. So you know you're talking about a guy with a lot of raw talent who you know, 
played, like you said, played well for the Rams and maybe still hadn't completely tapped into his upside. And so if, if you're San Francisco and you get that there and he hits those incentives, you're feeling like you got a, a major steal in free agency. Finally, Akello Witherspoon for the Seahawks. So a little, uh, little NFC West flavor here. Yeah, I mean, they are another team that just took a, a player from one of their division rivals that they probably just couldn't afford. Like, you know, the Seahawks saw Shaq Griffin leave in free agency for a big contract from the Jaguars. And they just said, okay, we'll get a guy who plays the exact same way in the exact same scheme in San Francisco. And I would not be surprised if Witherspoon played pretty close to the level of Griffin while he's in Seattle. You know, Pete Carroll has shown, I think, that you give him competent defensive backs, he can turn them into pretty good defensive backs. Uh, a lot of last year, they didn't really have those competent defensive backs. They had guys hurt throughout the season. But Witherspoon's a solid player. He's been you know, sort of an on-and-off starter in San Francisco over the past couple of years. And it's a one-year deal where they got him for basically nothing to replace – you know, their, their starter who's leaving and, you know, they need a longer term answer, but in terms of filling the hole in the lineup, I think they did pretty well. Yeah. And uh, Seattle, not a team with, you know, exactly flush with cash and certainly have been very conservative about their approach to free agency, despite their quarterback saying, get me everything. Um, and they got Gabe Jackson. Yeah, that was it. That was a good signing. Thanks. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, they got him in a trade, right? They gave up like a. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, they because they ended up trading. Yeah, they were going to cut him, and then or is it Rodney Hudson? They were going to cut, and then they traded both for of them. Yeah, <laughs> which makes you wonder what the Raiders are doing. But that's a different topic for a different day. We've been wondering that since they hired the guys that they hired. Indeed, we're not going to thrash the Raiders on this podcast. We're trying to break the consecutive streak of 435 podcasts where we oh, bash the Raiders. That's no, right, uh, dudes. Great stuff as always, buddy. Uh, go make sure and go check out the article on CBSSports.com. Ten free agents. Dubes breaks it down, and of course, you can follow him on Twitter at jadubin5. Always a pleasure, dude. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.